Charlene and Bob Steinkamp, the founders of Rejoice Marriage Ministries, are pleased to bring you the following message. To find out more about other materials available from Rejoice Marriage Ministries, or if we can minister to you in any other way, please contact us. You can write Rejoice Marriage Ministries, P.O. Box 10548, Pompano Beach, Florida, 33061. Please visit our website at www.rejoiceministries.org. Our hope is that through Charlene's message, you will receive the encouragement from the Lord, and with His strength and power, your marriage can be all that your Heavenly Father planned it to be. Welcome to Wet Rejoice Pompano. Did you guys get a lot of rain today where you were? It, it rained and rained. We need it. One of my kids was complaining and I said, but we need the rain. So it is good to have you here. I was wondering if we were going to have a lighter crowd tonight because of the weather. So I'm glad you guys made it safely. And I see a big crowd checking in. So we will continue to pray for the rest of the people that are traveling here. Um, I'm Lori. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Bob and Charlene's daughter. And thank you, Mario. I appreciate that. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not Charlene, and she is not here tonight, but I'm going to tell you in a few minutes where she's at and what fun and exciting things she's doing. Um, tongue in cheek, I say that. Um, let me go ahead and open in prayer, and then we'll go ahead and get started. Lord, I thank you for tonight, Father. I thank you um, for the rain, and I thank you for what it does for us and for what it does for your creation. And God, I pray that you would um, be with those who are still traveling here. We have people that come from um, all three counties around us. And I just pray that you would just keep them safe as they're um, making their way here tonight. Lord, I thank you for each man and woman that's in this room. And I thank you for the families that they represent. And God, we know that it goes far beyond a husband and a wife. There's children and cousins and aunts and uncles and so many people that are affected by our relationships. And God, I just thank you for this stand that the men and women in this room are taking to um, just to say that my marriage matters and that I want to do something to have a marriage that honors you. I pray that you would um, be with our time tonight and I pray that it would just be a blessing to you that the worship that is offered up to you Lord would um, be music to your ears and I pray that our teaching tonight and our time together would be a time where we can just quiet ourselves and um, learn from you and that we would be open to what you want to teach each of us. I pray that you would um, just be honored in all that's said and done tonight in your name. Amen. Well, open your Bibles with me before we get going to Hosea 10. And I just wanted to read a scripture to you. Um, it's probably very familiar to you. And I know that we've read it here before. But I love it. And so I just wanted you to look at it. Hosea chapter 10. And we'll start in verse 12. And it says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. But you have planted wickedness, you have reaped evil, you have eaten the fruit of deception, because you have depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. The roar of the battle will rise against your people so that all your fortresses will be devastated. 
And that scripture, if there's one to highlight or to underline, whatever you do in your Bible, that is one. Because verse 12, sow for yourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love. Do you know about sowing and reaping? What you get, what you put in is what you get out. And so when you're sowing righteousness, then you're reaping unfailing love. When you're sowing bitterness and anger and hatred and jealousy and all the other emotions that we can have, then we're not gonna be reaping things like unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. Think of the driest, hardest ground. I mean, some of these areas like in California that they've gone without rain for so long and their ground is just dry. And that's how our hearts can be so often when we're not feeding and being fed by the Lord and by what he has. So break up that unplowed ground, break it up, jackhammer, whatever it takes, you need to break it up and let God's word be able to soak in there. It's time to seek the Lord until he comes. Um, verse 13, you planted wickedness and you reaped evil, eaten the fruit of deception, the roar of battle will rise against your people so that all your fortresses will be devastated. And we don't want our fortresses to be devastated. We wanna break up that unplowed ground and we wanna have hearts that are tender for the Lord. And that's what we need to be doing. So that is an awesome scripture. I was reading that today and I wanted to share it with you. Um, an awesome scripture to just meditate on and to ask God, help me to sow what I need to be sowing in my relationships and in our time with him because so often, we can just cruise right by time with God and we're too busy and we're too rushed to do things. And so then we say, well, Lord, I feel so hard hearted or overwhelmed, but we haven't spent time with him that day. Or we've been doing 20 second prayers, begging for things instead of really getting before God and seeing what he wanted from us. So Hosea 10, mark that in your Bible. And that's a great chapter two um, to read and just this week meditate on it and read. Well, we've got some exciting things um, that I'm gonna talk to you about tonight and announce tonight. I wanted to remind you and I'll talk to you more about the picnic next month. So July, we are not in this room. We're July 8th, Saturday, July 8th, having our picnic. And so mark that down. If you've not RSVP'd, I'll give you details later for how you can RSVP, but Saturday, July 8th, is our picnic, so we're not here next month in July. Um, also, I wanted to just say welcome to our Facebook Live people that are watching us, and Charlene is probably watching us also, so turn around and wave to Charlene. <laughs> she's probably looking, and I'll tell you where she's watching from in a little while, um, but if you guys miss a Bible study or you are unable to get here one night, you can always go on Facebook, and beginning in August, you'll be able to go on our website and watch the video replay of our Bible study. So that's something coming. And um, last month, I told you guys about our new and exciting website and mobile app that is going to be launched soon. And so we actually got a projected date for that. And I told you it was going to be the fall and it looks like it's going to be closer to August or September. So that is coming soon. So just keep watching Charlene Cares for that. So now let's stand and we're going to sing a song and um, praise the Lord.
Yo! Yeah.
solid ground is falling out from underneath my feet Between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see And when I'm feeling like I've been let down by my friends and my family I can hear the rain reminding me In the eye of the storm, you remain in control Surrounds me in the eye of the storm. Mm -hmm. When my hopes and dreams are far from me and I'm running out of faith, I see the future I picture slowly fade away. And when the tears of pain and heartache are pouring down my face. Find my peace in Jesus' name In the eye of the storm You remain in control In the middle of the war You guard my soul You alone are the anchor When my sails are torn Your love surrounds me I just don't know how I'm gonna make ends meet I did my best, now I'm scared to death That we might lose everything And when a sickness takes my child away And there's nothing I can do My only hope is to trust you I trust you, Lord In the eye of the storm In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. Are your sails torn? A little bit. <laughs> you can be seated. That is awesome. You know what? The I, you guys are from Florida, right? How many are native Floridians? I'm a native Floridian. There's only a few of us. But you know, hurricane season, June 1st, in the eye of the storm, what is happening there? Peace. Peace all around you. I was just talking to Beverly. She said, I'm ready to get off this craziness. But in the middle of the storm, there is peace. And that's what you have to think about and look to. And that's what I told my mom yesterday morning when she was being admitted to the hospital. That's why she's not here. She had a um, freak reaction to a cortisone injection. 
And so she ended up having to go to the hospital yesterday morning, and they admitted her for observation, and they said, oh, you can go home early. So we were there at like 6.45 this morning, ready for them to discharge her today, and then all day long it kept getting pushed off. But my husband went and picked her up a little while ago, so she's home now, but she could not make it in time. So... She is very sad to not be here. The very first thing she said was, I want to go tomorrow night. And we were like, no, 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 you have to do what the doctor says. So she apologizes that she's not here. Um, Joel, is that Joel? Hi, Joel. Joel and I have been emailing back and forth. Joel is visiting from South Carolina, so make a point to meet Joel tonight. You know about hurricanes in South Carolina, don't you? (laughs) So we are glad you're all here. Is there anybody else visiting from out of the area tonight that I did not know about? Yes, where are you visiting from? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Well, glad to have you. You don't know about hurricanes, but you know about tornadoes, don't you? (laughs) All right, anybody else out of the area that we did not know about? Can you beat Oklahoma? I mean, come on. (laughs) All right, well, welcome to those of you that are far and those of you that are near and those of you that are regular. We're glad you're all here. Okay, I told you earlier about the picnic. What date is it? July 8th. Okay, I know someone's going to show up next month on July to come to Bible study, and there might be a wedding or something going on. You can attend. But July 8th, um, tomorrow in your email that you get saying, thanks for coming to Rejoice Pompano, there'll be a link so you can RSVP, but you need to RSVP so we know how much food to get. So um, make sure you do that. You can also do it through the Rejoice Pompano page on our website. So we would love to have you. It is for your family. So bring your kids might be a great thing to say to your spouse, hey, I'm going to a picnic, you know, do you want to join me? And you don't have to tell them who's hosting the picnic, just bring them along. So they'll be, it's 2 p.m. it starts, 2 p.m. on Saturday, July 8th. It's uh, North Pompano. The address is on the website and all the information. It's going to be at a pavilion um, on the grounds of Grace Baptist Church. So it's um, right on the border of Pompano and Deerfield, just off of 95. But on the Rejoice Pompano page, it has all the details there. And that's where you can RSVP. Um, One of the things we do is like to recognize our birthdays and anniversaries. So in the month of June, if you have a birthday or anniversary, um, we have a special gift for you. So does anybody have a birthday or anniversary in the month of June? Okay, we'll start up front. Happy birthday, June 30th. Okay. Anniversary on June 25th. How many years? 13 years. Happy anniversary. Yes. Birthday? Oh, anniversary. 12 years. Happy anniversary. Amen. June 22nd, 43 years. Happy anniversary. Yes. Birthday, June 4th. Happy birthday. Did I get everybody on this side? Okay, this side. We'll start in the back. Yep, go ahead. You can go. Yeah. Happy anniversary. How many years? 18 years? Happy anniversary. Yes. Wow, happy anniversary. Anybody else on the? Yes. Happy birthday. Lots of June weddings, right? (laughs) Anybody else on this side that we missed? 
Well, our gift to you is a um, bookstore item. So you can, on the way back, stop by the bookstore and pick up a book or CD. And that is our gift to you. The rest of you have to pay $5 if you want a book or CD. But it's discounted at Bible study. So um, the bookstore will be open afterwards, and you can stop by there. Um, I wanted to read a testimony to you. I actually was going to look up and see if this testimony made it in the Saturday testimonies this past Saturday. I don't think it did. I think it's coming up. So I'm going to give you a little preview. Do you all read the Saturday testimonies? Yes. Don't skip over them and say, nothing good's happening in my life. I'm not going to read them because that's just the devil telling you that. And read the other good things. This is from a man. Men, men are quiet, right? People will write us, men will write us and say, how come there's not a lot of testimonies from men on there? But men are just historically quiet. They don't get on their computer and write a lot. But this is from a a man that we know well that lives out in Arizona. And he um, wrote, I asked my wife if we could go to a week-on, week-off schedule for the kids. We've had equal time this past year, but it's been broken up. So she agreed for the first time in years without going to court. That was the first praise. Um, I went to my attorney's office, and the paperwork had to be sent for signature. Um, And so the kids and I are starting our new schedule. As I was leaving, my attorney shook my hand and warmly said, I wanted to let you know that my wife and I are in the process of reconciling thanks to you and your stand. This is his divorce attorney. Okay. I thought, you're going to love this part, I thought you were the craziest client I've ever had in 20 plus years of being a lawyer. No one has ever hung on as long and as consistent as you, and I have wanted to know what God was doing in your life, so I've been praying and working on overcoming family history and other issues, and I reached out to my wife, and now we're dating again after being apart for years. The craziest client he's ever had. (laughs) So some of you can relate to that because you've been to an attorney's office and said what you're wanting from your marriage and some of you have said that in front of a judge or in front of a mediator and I just thought that was so encouraging and it's a reminder that when we're going through our struggles we can feel so alone and like even sometimes like God has taken his eyes off of us but so many people around you see what you're doing and see the stand you're taking and see the faithfulness in your everyday walk. And, you know, it might be the big thing that happens when your restoration happens, but it's those small, little, faithful, daily things that people are going to notice. And he had no idea that his attorney was even believing that maybe he wasn't so crazy anymore. He thought he still thinks I'm crazy, and now, you know, he just went on with it. But you guys need to think about that. When you're praying for restoration, and tonight when we do our teaching, you're going to hear more about that. It is about being faithful to God in those little things. And as one spouse, you're not responsible for your husband or your wife. You're responsible to God for you. And so you're responsible for what you're doing. And so do not let the devil tell you, well, your marriage hasn't been restored yet, so you're a joke. Or your marriage hasn't been restored yet, and people think you're crazy. That's okay. People thought Jesus was crazy. Or Noah. Or anybody else in the Bible. They thought they were crazy. So anyhow, I thought that was an awesome testimony, and I wanted to just encourage you with that. Um, I wanted to give us a chance, if anybody else had a testimony they wanted to share, we have time to have like four or five people come up, and you could share just a quick one or two minute testimony. But has God been doing something this month in your life, or in your devotion time, or in your stand that you've seen and you want to come up and share about it, come on up and then we'll just make a little line here and we can have a couple people and don't be scared. It's okay. We're all just friends. 
just us right here, but if you want to come up and share anything, we'll do that right now. So does anybody want to come share? Anyone? Do you feel that little pitter-patter? That's Jesus saying, stand up and go share. No testimonies? Jesus hasn't been doing anything? Okay, that's all right. I mean, I know he's doing something, but if you don't want to share it, that's okay. All right, well, we're going to take time right now before we sing another song and just have some prayer time. Um, we like to, at Rejoice Pompano, do just little groups of prayer so that we can be praying for each other. You guys, when you walked in, received a prayer list. And on that prayer list are the names of many of the people that attend. And take that this month and put it in your Bible and pray for each other. And you might be able to put a face with a name or you might not know who they are. But just go through that list and be praying for them. And know that in doing that, that people are also praying for you and lifting up you and your family in your situation. So men, pray with men. Women, pray with women. And just get into a group of two and maybe three at the max. And we're just going to have a time of prayer for just a few minutes before we go on. And then we'll have one testimony after that. Yes. All right. Let's pray. Take my hands. They are yours to use. Take my feet. I will follow you. Fill my mouth. Give me words to pray. Break my heart with what brings you Message to 
Lord, as we gather tonight and this room is filled with people praising you and praying to you, I thank you. God, I thank you that we have the opportunity as Americans to freely meet together and to proclaim your name. And Lord, I pray tonight for each prayer that was uttered and lifted up in this room, God. I pray that prayers would be answered and that this would be the beginning of strongholds being broken and of families being mended together. God, I pray for every prodigal that is represented by someone in this room, Lord. And I pray that even right now that they would just feel your love around them, God. I pray that they would realize that they have not gone too far, that they've not done anything that is too um, too far beyond what you can redeem, God. And you died for those sins on the cross, God. And I thank you for that. I pray that those prodigals would feel the unconditional love that these spouses give to them. And I pray that you would mend and heal those broken relationships. Lord, where forgiveness needs to happen, I pray that you would bring it. And where healing needs to happen, I pray that you would mend those healing, those wounded hearts. And where um, we need to let down our guard and be willing to say, I'm sorry. I pray that you would give us the boldness to say that, God. I thank you for each and every person in this room, Lord, and I pray that you would just pour out your blessings on them. Lord, we pray that tonight would be the end of the stand, but if it's not, and if you say that it needs to go on longer and that you have more work to do in this process, I pray that while you're breaking up that hardened ground, that you would just give each person patience, Lord. I pray that it would be a time where they draw closer to you than ever before and that they would see the fruit of what you're doing in their lives. Lord, we know that you are not going to waste these trials that we've been through. We know that you are um, in control and that this is not out of your control. And I pray that the days that we feel defeated, the days that we feel like things are spinning out of control and we don't understand what's happening, I pray that you would just quiet our hearts, Lord, and just help us to understand that you are in control. God, I pray for the children as they're um, getting out of school in the, this week and last week and next week um, for some and Lord, I just pray that you would protect the children. Summertime is such a fragile time and so many kids can get into things that they shouldn't be involved in out of sheer boredom. And Lord, I pray you would protect them. I pray for the families that are um, dealing with having to send their kids to another parent's house for extended periods of time, God. And I pray that you would just um, protect children and protect mom and dad in that situation, Lord, and protect the emotions and the hurt feelings and things that can happen at that time, God. I pray that you would just um, bring blessings on these children, Lord, and that they would see through their parents that's um, made a decision to stand for restoration, the faithfulness of you, God, and that you would just make yourself known to them. Be with us tonight, God, and I pray the rest of the night would be a blessing. In your name, amen. All right, come straight up. <laughs> I'm going to catch you. That's okay. I can't translate for you. No, no, it's all right. It's all right. Okay. Say your first name also. Hi, everyone. My name is Grace. Uh, I apologize for my English. It's not that good. I, um, I'm from Ecuador, so I've been here a lot of years, but my English is so-so. Uh, <laughs> so I just want to say I'm very grateful for being here. I came last month for the first time, and um, everything is happening between last month and this month. Uh, I have um, my daughter changed so much and um, as her, she's five years old and she, her conduct, she was acting out after two years of battling this and false starts and back and 
my husband coming back and back and forth from our house. She's been acting out so bad, but she's now doing great in school. She finished good. I praise the Lord for that. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And and also, I have a, a biopsy, and and uh, and I was scary the last two weeks, but they told me just today that everything is okay. So I praise the Lord for that. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm gonna miss Sherlyn so much this month. But uh, I give all my love because she's teaching me. I just became Christian nine months ago. So I'm learning, yeah. I'm learning how to pray for my family and my husband. And I love that I found this. I'm very grateful for that. Amen, thank you. <laughs> all right, anyone else? Anyone else? Mario? <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Um. I was at my uh, at my church, Calvary Chapel, and I saw a marriage covenant truck. Yeah. So nut. That's the third one I've seen, and I mean, my faith has been like a thermometer. <laughs> it's been like, but um. It's the circumstances, the, the negativity that I hear from the other side, you know, from people, even from the children, you know, hear, hear negativity, but, you know, um, I'm comforted because it says in uh, James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and draw, God will draw near to you. So I, I, I just look at it as, as my prayers, you know, for her that, that uh, she just draws near to God and that I draw near to God, the children draw near to God, and then we'll see what happens, you know. Mario had a great visit with his kids yesterday, didn't you? So that's good. I know some of you dads that don't get to see him often know that's hard to not see him. Good evening, everyone. I was debating about saying this, but I feel it needs to be said. Uh, I'd like to thank um, your dad's life and, his, and what he's done. Uh, the reality of words that he said came true. Uh, last week when we celebrated our grandson's um, graduation and we had brunch together and my husband and everyone else was there and how Bob always says that, that had he had kept on the road that he was going, someone else would have been sitting in his place. So I'm very grateful that we were all able to sit together and have brunch with my grandson when he graduated. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. This is wedding season. We were talking about that. And you guys need to pray for the graduations and the weddings that are happening right now that families are coming together for. And some of them are coming together for the first time after not being together for quite some time. And just pray for those people that, that are coming together. It would be harmonious. And that it's a perfect time for um, the prodigal to see the unconditional love from, from that spouse that they haven't been around recently. Hi, I'm Janet. Um, I hate when God does this. I really don't. When he pushes and he doesn't leave me alone, I do not like that. Um, the first time I got here, I was invited by a lady that was praying at church for her. I just have met her, and she was having issues with her marriage. Um, I prayed for her, and I just have the Holy Spirit leave me. Then she said it. 
oh, and then I shared a little bit about my journey, and she said, would you like to come to, and then she was talking about standing, I'm like, yeah, what is this, standing or the standard? And I had no clue what she was talking about. I walked in, I met Lori, uh, I met, I mean, and I met a lot of people here. It was in December 2015, which I was going through a huge thing with my marriage for the first time. No, it has been for years, but it was uh, it was a difficult situation. I thought that it was ended already, and we have a daughter that she was in college, so she was drifting to completely. I had my daughter on one side, my husband going the other, and I'm in the middle begging the Lord and fasting and praying. I have get a small group with ladies that were doing Bible studies. I was doing remodelation in my house at the same time that all the bombs dropped on me with the house torn to pieces and I'm looking in the backyard, nothing in the backyard. And I'm like crying in the middle of the living room with floors everywhere. And I'm like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I better just burn down the house at this point. What is the purpose of the rebellion? Somebody said, one of my friends said it, do you look your house and say, yes, so God is rebuilding you. Mm -hmm. So look, so as I, we started the rebuilding process, I was the one standing, praying, and the Lord gave me uh, Ezekiel 37. As I looked the backyard and said, what do you want to see? And said, I'm not, I'm not prophesying anything. It was the dry bones. It's like you said, the dry bones, the dry bones. And then I will, you will see the Israelites back to Exodus. I do not like Exodus, and I don't want to go there. But I kept, when they tell you to pray for them, they give a, a scriptural prayer. I was doing it already before I even know they were doing here. So when I walked into those doors, everything the Lord was doing in me, I already was confirmation. and make me walk through a more confident. I know what I was. I wasn't going to give. Up. I'm, when my husband came with a brilliant idea, we love each other, but I think we should, I should go somewhere else. And uh, my response was, do you see this wedding? It's not coming out. If you're planning anything else out there, bringing me any paper or something, you're going to get it when I'm on, underground, when you bury me. <laughs> End of story. He gave me a sterile look. As he, I said, because by then I have done the study and the Lord had given me already. When I say, what's going on, Lord? Something's not right here. He had given me the same verses that Charlene was doing the studies, back to Genesis, about how the man should leave his... I said, no. I said, then I continually pray. And I, then I, when he told me, what are you doing? Doing my devotional. Yeah, right. I said, and I know what God told me, so don't expect anything from me. I said, don't expect any signature from me. I'm not moving. I'm staying here, exactly where I'm staying. And I said with such a boldness because I was kind of scared sometimes because nobody was abusive or anything. It's just he had a way to talk and I couldn't say anything. So I was like, oh, I said it. And then I said, Lord, this study is not for me. I know what you told me. It's a study for him. Two days later, he said, yeah, right. God is talking to you. I say, what did he say? Oh, my goodness. I was like, I grabbed my, because I journal, journal it. I grabbed and I went from the beginning. I said, Lord, don't let him go out. I said everything I had to say. He gave me a stare and he walked away. But I can say right now, I'm standing here. We renewed our vows last year in, in October. 
October 16, that was the October 16, the year before I have confronted him with all the fear in my heart. I had a pastors behind me, people praying for me, and I said, I'm doing this, and I confronted, and I said, I see this, you can lie, I have this, and this is where it's standing. And guess what? I'm not going anywhere. So that was my thing. Also, and then I can see God, and I pray that God give him... Uh, he became the high priest of our home that became David, like a David after God's own heart. And I pray and I cannot say the husband I have right now is not the husband I even thought I married because my, our marriage is better than it was before that we got married and become friends. And the amazing law, the amazing job that God has done in my marriage, I could never have done, but it started with me. When, when they say you have to study, the Lord made me see every single thing before I pointed the finger at him, what I have done and what I have failed. As a woman, as a wife, as a mom, I, he tore me into pieces. Painful, yes, I had to learn myself submission. I had to learn give it all to the Lord, and I had learned so much during that time. If I can go back, I will do it all over again because that's the only way I learned. Then my daughter walked away. Now we're standing with my husband together because he restored us so we can restore our family with her. So my daughter came back to the Lord again from all her walks. She's back again because she saw dad is not moving anywhere. He's like, we do God's will because we serve the Lord here. If the things he does and he comes up with the Bible verses every day, we pray together. I Sometimes I cry. They know I cry for everything. I'm not crying right now. If they know it's a tears of joy because just my daughter the other day, she was crying. I said, what happened? She said, the overwhelming love of God I could have never seen. And then she said, I can never show you guys ever remember you. She's 20 now. I have never remembered you when I grow up. The love that you guys have, sometimes it's ew kind of thing. That's okay. it's, but the thing is that she said, oh, because she sees now, but as she's going to be walking because she just graduated from college, as she's looking her life and she said, the guy I want to marry somebody like my dad. And she didn't say that two years ago. She hated both of us. And when she said it, I have to say, it has to be a great guy like my dad. Do you know what? All the prayers you guys are doing, God will work because I wasn't going to say anything. But it is just an encouragement what this ministry has done. And I still come, I still be part of it because I want to encourage other ladies. I have walked other people their paths. I have prayed for people. And it's just wonderful things that God does when we trust in him and when we believe. Good evening, my name is Jessica. I just want to um, share something with you, whether you are a man or a woman. You're, well, in the case of us women, the husband for a season is God. I'm going to tell you what happened to me two days ago when my husband called me and told me, let's go and renew the uh, plate of our car, or his car, because it's in my name. And we went, and, oh, let me check my bank account. Let me tell you something. I told my husband to take a picture, because I couldn't do a screenshot. The Lord deposited $406 in my account. My dad didn't do it. 
It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't my husband. Why am I sharing this with you? And I don't want to get caught in emotions because the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit is not about emotions. It's about what they do for us. It's amazing that the Lord deposited this money in my account. Let me tell you something. I'm going to stand forever, my husband knows, but I know that God is standing with me forever and ever. He's providing for me. I don't have my husband with me right now. Uh, we talk, and I know the Lord restored my marriage already. But it's amazing, the love of God, and he's there. I took, I told my husband, take it in front of him. That was a testimony for him. I said, look, Johnny, he's a good old Italian-American guy. Look at this. That's God. That's not my dad, because I call my dad. I call my mom. My son, nobody. The Lord did that. The Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit did that. And I just wanted to share with you this hope. God is our husband for a season and for any season that we need. So glory to him and thank you. Yes. Um well, three things. Number one, you mentioned about graduations. And um, my daughter graduated from college and, of course, get together. And um, I got my daughter a gift. It's kind of a combination uh, graduation. Her birthday was May 14th, so about the same time, around the same time. And, uh, and she already had this and everything. I was kind of a little bombed. And then actually my wife had texted me and said it was a very thoughtful gift that um, that, uh, that I gave her, you know, which I never, you know, get those kind of texts from my wife. And mostly when I've talked to my wife, it's been through text and went to a, um, my daughter and I usually get together for um, Sunday service. We, you know, what service you go into, et cetera. And, um, and she said, mom was coming. So, okay. And that happens from time to time. And, um, they were sitting in the back and didn't sit by me, but we met outside after the service, and you know, my wife had actually asked about my mother, and well, she doesn't, they don't get along too well, so, <laughs> as you can imagine. And um, so that was kind of a miracle, and actually, the first time I've had a face-to-face -face conversation with her probably in, in years, We've been separated for four and a half years. And then the other one was, um, I went to a service, another church, and they were prophesying, and uh, they don't really know who I am, and they pointed at me and said, well, you're wondering when God is going to do this thing, and didn't know what it was, but he said he'll tell you, and it was just really, you know, just to really continue to believe that he's going to show when it's time for restoration or get back together, and and so uh, that's just those three things that the Lord has uh, done here in the month of May, Mega May. You know what Mario is anyway. So, amen. So, some of our some of our men get together every month for dinner, and one of them told me tonight, Dave, that heads it up. Dave gets our guys together. 
that they're praying for big things this month and they're praying for huge things to happen. And you guys heard it here with all these testimonies. It's the little things where God is faithful and where we're faithful to him that he will show himself in those little things. And Janet, where did Janet go? Janet, yes, she was talking about her daughter. And you guys, I want to encourage you, when you were kids, so many of you have kids right now, and some of them are rebelling, and some of them think you're crazy because you're wanting this evil person back that's your husband or your wife. And I was the same way. I was 14 when my parents divorced, and you, many of you have heard the testimony, but when my dad, he had moved out 18 times in 19 years of marriage. He was just a walker. When things would go bad, he would pack his bags and leave, and he would come back the next day, and so when he left this time, it was like, goodbye, you know, see you later, like, let's have some peace in the house, and when they pursued the divorce, my mom was the one who pursued the divorce. She said, I have grounds. He's been unfaithful. He's physically abusive. I have grounds for this. And we thought, okay, go, go for it. Like, let's, that's fine. And it was months later that I went into her room one Saturday night and she had already gone to bed. And I said, I don't think I want my parents to be divorced anymore. And God worked in me. Now, I still had a ton of hatred and bitterness towards my dad, a ton, because of all that we had been through for those years. And it wasn't all horrible, but there was a lot of stuff that we knew about that wasn't right. And God slowly healed that. So the family picture that was hanging on the wall that I may have defaced him a little bit when he came <laughs> When he came home one day and said, what happened to my picture? I was like, I have no idea what happened. <laughs> I pointed to my brothers. But God healed that. And the night before I got married was like the night where all those years, my parents were restored by then. And we were just, it was my parents and I just sitting there the night before I got married. And it was when my dad just said, came to me and said again, I'm sorry for what I did. And you know what? It was like God erased it in that moment. Like all the things of me saying, well, I remember when we went on this vacation and that happened and you did this and that and this person and that person and whatever and this unfair punishment. And God will do that for you. So those hurts and those things, like we get so many emails right now with things and situations and stories and this happened and that happened. God will erase it. And like Janet saw when she was steadfast, she didn't disrespect her husband, hopefully, though. But she said, that's great, but I'm not going anywhere. And you guys, what if you said that to your spouse? Like, I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. So that's what my mom said to my dad. You go do what you need to do, but I will be sitting here waiting, and you're going to miss the best part of me, because I'll be an old lady when you come back if you miss all this. And so, but that's what we need to do. It's those little daily things. So you guys, journal. Who the, Several of them mentioned journaling. You all need to be journaling. It is awesome. I just, um, I started doing something. This is my journaling right now. I have a prayer journal, but I also started just writing sticky notes with prayers. And my kids can tell you, like, they're finding them on their mirrors for things that I'm praying for them for. And yesterday in church, I opened my Bible to a page, and I had forgotten that I wrote this. Just, I wrote it at the beginning of May, but I had forgotten about it. 
And I opened it up and said, huh, yep, Lord, you took care of that. That was a giant mountain that seemed impossible, and you crushed that mountain. And so journal and, and write it down so you can go back. When you have those days when the devil's like, God is not answering your prayers, he does not care about your marriage, he does not care about what's happening, your church thinks you're crazy, your pastor thinks you're nuts, go back and see where God has answered those prayers and been faithful to you because he is faithful, and he will give you peace in the midst of that storm, whatever it is. So thank you all for sharing. I appreciate that. God is so faithful and good. So faithful. Well, we're going to stand and sing one more song, and then um, we will move on. But this song is called The Stand, The Stand, and that is what we're doing, whether we're standing for a spouse or a prodigal. So enjoy this song. Still before creation, eternity in your hand, and you spoke the earth into motion. My soul. Thank you. 
Lord, as we come to you right now, God, I thank you that we are standing. Lord, we are yours, and you do with us as we please. And God, sometimes that's not comfortable, and sometimes you stretch us, and sometimes you need to break up the ground of our heart and hearts. But God, I pray that you would do that in each of us. Lord, we are surrendered to you, and I pray that your will would be done in each and every one of our lives. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, well, have a seat. Um, so since Charlene's not here tonight, yesterday, she said, I have the best teaching for tomorrow night, and I can't give it. And so August is going to be awesome. So mark your calendars to come in August, because we said, now you have a whole month to uh, tweak it. And so she was bummed about not being here. But a couple months ago, she shared um, a video series with you guys from Pete Briscoe. And Pete Briscoe is the um, son of Jill and Stuart Briscoe. And some of you may have done Bible studies from them. Um, but the video series, we had a ton of comments from you all that you enjoyed it. And so she's been trying to find a time that we could show the third video in that series. And so I said, I guess tonight's the night that we're going to show that video. Um, so that's what we're going to do right now. And I'm going to sign off to our Facebook friends and say goodbye to you because we love you and we appreciate you tuning in, but we cannot show you the video. So um, thank you. Goodbye. And we're going to just continue on without you now. Um, but in this video, he's going to talk in the beginning. And I do not want you to tune this out, so I'm telling you now. In the beginning, this video is called Hope for Your Marriage becoming a spirit-led spouse. And you may think, well, how can I be a spirit-led spouse when my husband or wife has not spoken to me, like Brian said, in several years, or we're not together right now? And I want you to hear, and about 10 minutes in, he's going to talk about it, but he says, being a spirit-led spouse is not just about being a spouse together, but it's about being spirit-led individually. And it was mentioned here tonight, and you all have heard my mom say it many times, despite the list of wrongs that my dad did, when she finally shut her mouth and zipped her lips and listened to God, he pointed out to her where she had failed as a wife. And maybe she didn't have an affair, or maybe she didn't do this or that, but she was not the wife she should have been. And so I'm asking you tonight to just examine your heart. And if you haven't come to that point in your life where you can say, God, show me where I failed. And you know what? It seems ridiculous, but my mom went to my dad and said, I'm sorry for what I did in our marriage. And I know that he has said before that he had felt like, well, I was the big bad guy. Why, you know, why was she apologizing? But we all do have responsibilities in our marriages, and we have things that we should be doing. And even if you do not have constant contact with your spouse or your spouse is not living in your house right now, you can be a spirit-led spouse, and you can show your husband or your wife the love and the respect that they need. So listen to that, um, and do not just discount what he's saying because you don't have contact because it is going to make sense. And this is an awesome teaching. You're going to want to take a ton of notes. And I know that it's going to be a blessing to you. So enjoy Pete Briscoe. All right. If you have your Bibles, could you please open them to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. I was chatting with a friend of mine this week, and he, for many years, and he and his wife have mentored young couples in their marriages and uh, he said, Pete, you know, I get a similar question all the time from couples. It's only a matter of time before they ask it. And the question is this. So what's the key to a great marriage? And what's the secret? Just the one secret, the one key to a great marriage, what is it? And he said, I always give the same answer. Two people 
walking in the spirit, loving one another. Two people walking in the spirit, loving one another. And then he said their response is almost always um, something along these lines. Yeah, yeah, I know that. But tell me something helpful. Tell me something practical, really practical, that'll really make a difference. And he says, okay, two people walking in the spirit, loving one another. Now that statement sounds theological. It is actually intensely practical. And we're going to unwrap that statement um, today. A number of years ago, Libby and I sat in a counselor's office and we had an aha moment. And the aha moment was that our marriage could be rebuilt, revitalized, if we would learn what it really meant to walk in the spirit instead of walking in the flesh. We'd heard that terminology our whole lives. We honestly didn't know what it meant. Last week, I shared with you some pictures. I drew an octagon. Remember, an octagon is a stop sign shape. And that reminded us that we are to stop trying to fix our spouses. That was the first step we were going to take, right? And then we had the lines, and the lines, two uh, parallel horizontal lines. The top one was expectations. The bottom one was reality. And we talked about the difference between these two things is called disappointment. And you, many of you, had conversations this week about some of those disappointments and the expectations that were behind them. Some of you didn't have that conversation, so you're disappointed because you were expecting to. You see how this works? Expectation, reality, the difference is called disappointment. And then we talked about the triangle and the fact that as long as we're on the bottom corners of the triangle, kind of trying to fix each other, we're never going to grow closer together in union together. But as we turn our eyes to Christ and start to grow in our walk with him, it brings us together in him and we experience this oneness that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. And then, of course, there were the triangles, and we didn't get to finish our conversation about the, um, I'm sorry, the circles. We didn't get to finish our conversation about the circles last week, so that's what we're going to dive into today. Instead of me redrawing them, I drew them beforehand to save us a little time so that we can be reminded. Okay, this is a picture of two people, um, their internal anatomy, their body, their soul, their spirit. This is what makes up everyone. They've come together. They're married. They're one flesh. And so they are now a new entity in this married life. Their soul is made up of their mind, their will, and their emotions. Because they are believers in Jesus Christ, in their spirit, in the core of who they are, they are in Christ. They are alive instead of dead. They are free instead of slaves. They are a new creation and the Holy Spirit of God himself indwells them. This is the picture of a believer in Jesus Christ. You notice here, indwelling sin is still a part of their life. That internal desire for sinful things is still there. It's not who they are, but it's a part of their life. And flesh is also a part of their life. We're going to talk about flesh more today. Now, what the Apostle Paul teaches us is that as believers, we have a choice the choice is right here. We can function out of the Holy Spirit or we can function out of the flesh. We can function out of the Holy Spirit or we can function out of the flesh. As married couples, if we function out of the flesh, this is called war. It stinks. It's a miserable way to live. If we can function out of the Spirit, this is called love. And it's the only way to live. So you see how important this is. Two people 
walking in the spirit, loving one another. That's what great marriages are made out of. And this is what we're going to unwrap today. You know, this principle, learning to walk in the spirit instead of walking in the flesh is helpful um, for married couples. And that's where we'll be focusing today. It's also helpful for single adults, for those of you who aren't married, uh, because true contentment and life is found in Christ And the abundant life is lived as we live in the spirit instead of in the flesh. This sermon will be helpful if marriage is in the future for you because you will be much better prepared to enter into that kind of intimate relationship. I'm aware that um, some of you are in marriages where you are all fired up about growing deeper in your marriage, your spouse, not so much. And I recognize that that's a really painful thing. There is an underlying presupposition behind this series of messages, and that is that both of you are at least available to work on your marriage. But sometimes that's not necessarily the case. So let me share a couple things with those of you who find yourselves in that situation. Um, The first thing I want to encourage you to do is to trust that God is at work in your spouse. Trust that God is at work in your spouse. You don't really know what's going on in there. (laughs) You really don't. We all think that we can evaluate someone's spiritual state by their outward performance, but the fact of the matter is only God really knows what's going on inside someone's heart. Tilden Edwards says it this way, one great need in families is to trust and respect the different ways that God is secretly at work in each person, however little we may understand. I love that phrase, God is secretly at work in each person. He is. So trust that he's at work. Pray for your spouse. I think a second thing I want to mention to you is that many times um, suffering brings growth. This is a biblical concept. Um, In Romans 5, 3, Paul says, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. That suffering is a tool that God uses to form us and to mold us and to deepen our intimacy with Christ. And we have all different kinds of suffering. Some of you are suffering in a bad marriage and your spouse just won't get their act together and it's killing you. One thing that I would encourage you to think is, all right, I'm in this trial. I don't want to waste this trial. Lord, how are you going to use this suffering to grow me, to deepen my walk with Jesus? It's a recalibration of the mindset. That being said, please hear me. I want to be very clear on this. God does not expect you to endure physical or sexual abuse in the name of suffering producing growth. God does not expect you to endure physical or sexual abuse so that you can grow. If your spouse is abusing you, tell us. Your leaders are prepared to confront and we will protect you. But for those of you who are in a marriage where it's not abusive, it's just that your spouse just doesn't care, (laughs) ask God to do a miracle. Keep asking. He's capable. He can do it. Fight for your marriage. Don't fall into the temptation of just throwing in the towels. And here's the most important thing. Walk in the Spirit. You say, Pete, you keep coming back to that. I'm going to keep coming back to that because the best marriages are two people walking in the Spirit, loving one another. So what does that look like? Well, let's dive in. Galatians 5, verse 13. I told you last week I'm reading this from the English Standard Version because the NIV chose to translate the word sarks 
as sinful nature, which is very confusing. Uh, remember, we've learned in Scripture, Paul teaches this in Romans 6, 7, and 8, that our old nature, our old man, was crucified with Christ. So we are a new man, we are a new creation. And so when they use the name sinful nature, that brings confusion to people. I'm happy to tell you that in the 2010 edition of the NIV, they've corrected that and they now translate it flesh, as most other translations do too. So, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. So there's two choices. I can indulge my flesh, or I can, in love, serve my spouse or someone else. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. So love um, is the result of walking in the spirit, biting and devouring one another, consuming one another is what happens when we indulge the flesh. So what is the flesh? The flesh is that condition where my focus is primarily on myself. It's self-centeredness to a great degree. I'm focused on myself as I attempt to live out of my own resources. Okay, so you start listing what the resources are. My heritage, my education, my IQ, my personality. Right? My sense of humor, my looks, my talents, my self-discipline, whatever. It's the stuff that I can produce on my own, and I attempt to live out of those things to find life somewhere. Flesh is me trying to live life independent of God so that I can cope with life, I can solve my problems, I can meet my needs, I can become a success. Flesh is trying to produce life on my own. I don't know, people don't realize this, but flesh can actually look good on the outside. Someone can be functioning in the flesh. You could be observing it thinking, wow, what a cool person. I don't know if you knew this or not. Listen to what Paul said when he's describing his flesh in Philippians 3. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul doesn't want us living in the flesh. He wants us living in the spirit. So it says, if you look at your flesh and go, yeah, but my flesh is pretty impressive. He says, if you're thinking that, mine is more impressive. And then listen to how he describes it. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he goes, I've I've got heritage flesh better than anyone else. As to the law, a Pharisee, I'm religious, more religious than any of you could ever be. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, I am incredibly passionate in my flesh. As to righteousness under the law, blameless, I'm an incredibly moral person. Now you look at all those things and you think, well, those sound pretty good. Moral, passionate, religious, good heritage, aren't those good things? Here's what he says about them. But whatever, I, whatever gain I had, whatever I got from those things, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He goes on to say, I considered them rubbish, dung. Actually, it's a much stronger word than that, but we're in polite company, so I'm not going to say it. I consider all that stuff I produced in the flesh, beep, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. So let me answer three questions today for you. The first one, these are really pragmatic questions. How do I know when I'm in the flesh or in the spirit? I mean, how can I tell? Secondly, how do I avoid the flesh? Third, how can I get in the spirit? Okay, first of all, how do I know when I'm in the flesh or in the spirit? 
I know I'm in the flesh when I find myself living contrary to what God wants for me. I find myself living contrary to what God wants for me. Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. They are placed against each other. They are in opposition to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Please hear me. In Christ, you are alive in him. You're free. You have this new creation. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you. There are desires that come from the very core of who you are that you really want to do. And what this text tells us is your flesh fights against those things you really want to do. And it makes you want to do things you don't want to do. It is a battle. It is a war. So if you find yourself doing things contrary to what God wants you to do, there's a very good chance you're in the flesh. In fact, you are in the flesh. You also know you're in the flesh when you see flesh fruit. (laughs) Paul describes it for us, starting in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, that's porneia, any kind of sexual sin. Impurity or uncleanness. Sensuality, which is the absence of restraint and insatiable desire for pleasure. If that characterizes your life, then your life is characterized by the flesh. Verse 20, idolatry. This is idol worship. If there's anything in your life that is more important than Jesus, and you are worshiping, you are giving yourself over to that thing, you are in the flesh. It's called idol worship. What the flesh leads to. Sorcery. That's not a very good translation. Here's the Greek word. Let me see if you can figure out what it means. Pharmakia. Pharmacy. The idea here is illicit pharmaceutical usage, abusing drugs, getting your needs dealt with by medicating them. This is indulging the flesh. If these words that I'm about to read characterize your relationships, then you're in the flesh. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, I don't need to define each of these words. They're pretty self-explanatory. If they describe your marriage, if they describe your family, then the flesh is at work. Drunkenness. In Greek, that means drunkenness. (laughs) Drinking too much. The word orgies means literally festive reveling with drink leading to base behavior. Um, so it's basically the modern bar scene. If you're heading out to the modern bar scene, very good chance you're in the flesh. And things like that, Paul says this is not an exhaustive list. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the way non-believers live. Those who aren't inheriting the kingdom of God. You have a completely better option. Why would you choose to live this way? Why? And most of you would say, because I don't know how to do it any different, which is why you're here and why you need to keep listening, all right? How do I know I'm in the flesh or in the spirit? I know I'm in the flesh when I'm living contrary to God's will and I see flesh fruit. I know I'm in the spirit when I see spirit fruit. Look at verse 22. But, contrast here, the fruit of the spirit, the results of living in the spirit are love, joy, and peace. It's interesting to me, These are the things that we try to find in other people. Am I right? We long for love. We think if I can find another person to love me, then they'll fill me with love. 
I just want someone to make me happy. That's our longing for joy. I just want my soulmate so I can live at peace with them. That's our longing for peace. And this text tells us, you're not going to find those things in another person. You will find them in the Holy Spirit of God. He's the only one that can create those things for you. Not only that, in your relationships, he'll create these things. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, no amount of legalism, no amount of trying can produce this kind of fruit. Only the Holy Spirit of God can. Here's the good news. He is already living inside you as a believer in Jesus Christ. You have everything you need to live this way right now. So how do we avoid the flesh? How do we avoid the flesh? Because the best marriages are two people walking in the spirit, loving one another, and the flesh tries to get in the way of that. How do I avoid the flesh? Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How do we avoid the flesh? We crucify it. Please note, Paul assumes as a believer you've already done that. See what he says here? Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. He assumes you've already done it. The problem is most believers I know don't even know what that means. Never mind actually following through with it. What in the world does it mean to crucify the flesh? Well, this is not the same crucifixion that Paul describes in Romans 6 and in Galatians 2.20 where it says, for I was crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That's talking about the old man. That's talking about who we are in our spirit. That's talking about that transformation that Christ brings about by his co-crucifixion with us and is raising again to new life so we can have life as well. That is done to us. That's in the passive voice. This is different. This is in the active voice. This is something that we do. We crucify our flesh. But what does that mean? One commentator puts it this way. The basic demand of Christian discipleship is that we take up our cross daily and follow Christ. Paul stretched this metaphor further by saying that we must not only take up our cross and walk with it, but actually see that the execution takes place. You ever wonder what's on the cross that you're carrying around? Your flesh. Your flesh is nailed to the cross. Jay Brown said it this way. Crucifixion produced death not suddenly but gradually. True Christians do not succeed in completely destroying the flesh while here below. But they have fixed it to the cross and they are determined to keep it there till it expires. End quote. In other words, as long as we're here on earth, we're never going to be done with the flesh. It's always going to be a part of our life. It's always going to be an option for us. But what Paul is saying here is that we need to get to a point where we recognize our flesh, we know it, we hate it, and we crucify it. So let me ask you a question. Do you know your flesh? Can you recognize it? Do you hate it? Have you crucified it? That aha moment that Libby and I had in our friend Carol's office that day was when she sat down with us and said, I'm going to read through some versions of the flesh so that you can start thinking through which one might be the kind of flesh that you have. And this started a long conversation. If I had a half an hour with every married couple in the church in my office and I got just a half an hour with you to sit down and talk to you about your marriage, this is what I would walk through. Since I can't get you all in my office, we're going to do it right now. All right? So let's pretend this is my office over here, all right? So I'm going to sit down in my office. I'm going to 
Move this first. I want you to imagine that you and your spouse just came into my office and you sat down on the couch across from me. (laughs) And I said, all right, let's figure out what your flesh is so we can get it crucified and you can move on. Walk in the spirit. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through this list. Our friend Carol Laird gave us this list and said that I could share it with you. Um, Our personalities are unique, so our flesh patterns are unique as well. Your flesh pattern, no one else has. Okay, so you have to figure out what it is and what it looks like. But over the years, Carol has talked to so many people about these things that she's seen certain themes, certain flesh patterns. And as I'm reading through these and describing them for you, I think chances are one or two of them you'll go ding, 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 ding. Boy, that sounds like me. So let me read through them. Write these down because this is going to be the source of a conversation you're going to have with your spouse. (coughs) The first one we will call performance flesh. Performance flesh. This is the well-adjusted person. This is the Apostle Paul flesh. The USDA choice flesh. This is the aggressive, outgoing, positive, motivated, driven, take charge kind of person. Their motto is just do it. Just do it. Just get to work. You okay up there? Is that? Someone's laughing really loud. Performance flesh. The next one we'll call religious flesh. Religious flesh. This is the super spiritual person. This is the person that uh, when they're being described by someone else, they're described as a good Christian. They're a good Christian because they tend to behave, they tend to perform, they tend to do all the things that Christians are supposed to do. Their motto is, what would Jesus do? They might even have a bracelet that says something like that. Characteristics, they're passive, they're nice, they're sweet, they're obedient, they're dutiful, they're pious. (laughs) They're sanctimonious. A lot of times they're judgmental because other people don't live up to their own religious achievements. What they want is they want to be seen as good. And if self-righteousness will bring that for them, then they're good with that. The next flesh we'll call superior flesh. Superior flesh. This is the snob. Outwardly proud, defensive, conceited, know-it-all. I mean, they always know the right answer. They look down on other people because they're not as bright or as wise as they are. Their motto is, nobody does it better. I got it figured out. No one else does it better. Their desire is to be better than anyone else when they're in the flesh. The next flesh we'll call comfort flesh. Comfort flesh. This is the laid-back, easygoing person. It could also be called passive flesh. This person is passive, cautious, indecisive, unmotivated. Um, When conflict arises, um, they uh, avoid it like the plague. They sit back. They're lazy, sometimes to the extreme. When we're in the flesh, in our comfort flesh, our motto is, that's not my job, someone else will take care of it. Their goal is to keep things calm. Let's not rock the boat. Can't we all just be nice? Then there's victim flesh. Victim flesh. This is the self-depreciating person. Negative, complaining, defeated, self-pitying. 
unforgiving. The reason that victim flesh people are unforgiving is because in order to be a victim, you have to have a persecutor, right? And if you forgive your persecutor, then you're no longer a victim. So you can't forgive that person because you've got to stay a victim. It's your coping mechanism. It's how you deal with life. And so you go through life not forgiving the person who wounded you just so that you can continue to run back to your victim flesh when you desire to. The motto is, look what you've done to me. This person wants attention. This person wants pity. The next flesh we'll call caretaker flesh. This is the really responsible person. Your counselor might have called it an enabler. This is a rescuer or a fixer. Uh, Very possessive, many times too involved in the lives of the person they're trying to help. Sometimes they're nagging. They can be overly responsible, overly protective. The motto is, look what I've done for you. I mean, look at all I've done for you. Their desire is to be needed. They long to be needed. So they think, if I just take care of everyone, then they need me and that desire gets filled. It really doesn't, but that's what they think. The next flesh is pleaser flesh. Pleaser flesh. This is the nice guy. The nice gal. Compliant, submissive, compromising, self-neglecting, has a hard time saying no. The reason we don't like to say no when we're in our pleaser flesh is because we just want everyone to like us. And I know if I say no to you, then you won't like me. So I say yes to everything. I'm scheduled over my head because I don't want anyone to dislike me. The motto is, I did it for love. It's not really true. I did it so you'd like me. It's very different. Let let me push the pause button for a second. Um, This is one of my flesh patterns, patterns, the pleaser flesh. Um, And and I want to walk you through how this works because a guy came up to me after the first hour and said, okay, but some of those flesh patterns are really good. I mean, is is it wrong to want to please people? Is it wrong to um, want to do really well and perform well. And, and I said, it's not wrong to want to please people. The question is why? What's behind it? And here's the example I used. Um, back before Libby and I figured this out, um, when I sensed that she was upset with me, um, I would be uncomfortable with that. And so I would try to please her. I would clean the kitchen and surprise her. And she would come home and she'd see it clean and she'd be like, Ugh. and she'd like get mad at me. I'm like, how could you be mad at me? I just cleaned the whole kitchen. And she said, I don't know why I'm mad at you. It just feels yucky. And the reason it felt yucky is because I was cleaning the kitchen to manipulate her. I was cleaning the kitchen to get her to like me. I was cleaning the kitchen to control our relationship. And she could sense it. She didn't have words for it, but she could feel it. Functioning in the spirit, one day the Holy Spirit might say, why don't you love your wife by cleaning the kitchen while she's gone? I'll clean the kitchen. She'll come home and she'll be like, oh, I love you so much. I feel so loved. Completely different reaction. Why? Because in the spirit, I'm serving her to love her. In the flesh, I'm serving her to get something. Do you see the difference? Flesh stinks and your spouse can sniff it a mile away. Okay, there's a couple more. Indulgent flesh. Indulgent flesh. This is the compulsive person. Um, obsessive, easily addicted, insatiable, thrill seeker, pleasure seeker. This person wants an adrenaline rush or wants to medicate their pain. The motto is, if it feels good, do it. 
All they really want is to feel good, to feel better than they actually feel right now. They'll do anything in order to get that feeling. And then there's hostile flesh, the abusive antisocial person. This person is angry and domineering and vengeful and quick-tempered and hateful. Their motto is do unto others before they do unto you. Their desire is to dominate and to control And this one is really easy to spot. If you're married to someone that has hostile flesh and they live in the flesh, you're living in a miserable place. Some of this flesh is really easy to see. Others aren't so easy to see, but hear me. They are all repugnant and they all lead to death. I thought it might be helpful to share a couple scenarios with you. Um, just so that you can get a feel for how these flesh patterns work. Okay, so here's the first scenario. You're late coming to church. Okay, anyone can relate to this? You're not quite getting out of the house in time so that you can get here in a timely manner. Okay, so let's say in the couple we've got one person that has religious flesh and the other person has superior flesh. How do they in the flesh deal with this situation about being late for church? The religious flesh person might do something like this. You know what? I, I think we should pray. I think we should pray and maybe recite our memory verses. If we recite memory verses, then maybe the tension will go down. I've got one. All things work together for the good of those. Maybe God wanted us to be late today. Maybe there's some good in this that we can find. And and the religious flesh starts to over-spiritualize everything. Meanwhile, the other spouse is superior flesh. This person is standing in the doorway by the garage rattling their keys. Lecturing the offending party. You know what? Punctuality communicates respect. How many times have I told you that? I've always said if you aren't 10 minutes early, you're 10 minutes late. Come on, everybody. Get your act together. This is not going to reflect well on me when we walk in late to church. (laughs) Superior flesh. How about this scenario? Parenting difficult teenagers. Talk about bringing the stress level up in the home, right? And you're trying to stay on the same page but you have flesh patterns, and if you're parenting in the flesh, you're gonna to run to those flesh patterns when it gets hard. And so maybe one of you has comfort flesh and the other one has hostile flesh. And you have a teenage daughter that's giving you problems. And so the comfort flesh parent says, you know what? I think this is all normal behavior for teenagers. Let's not jump to any conclusions. Let's just give it a little bit more time. Let's give her a few more chances to succeed and to make the right choices. And, We don't want to overreact. We don't want to push her away. And if we discipline her, it's just going to get ugly. And let's just avoid that. Comfort flesh. Hostile flesh is the exact opposite. You know what? I'm going to teach her a lesson she won't soon forget. And it might be a verbal barrage. You might throw something across the room. You might even physically hit her in anger. All part of hostile flesh. So if you're functioning in your hostile, your comfort flesh, how is this impacting the marriage well the comfort flesh is appalled at the violence for good reason and the hostile flesh is disgusted by the passivity for good reason (laughs) and so the flesh crashes and as a result as a couple we start to drift apart and we just can't parent these kids because we just don't see eye to eye you see the danger of functioning in the flesh another scenario you've lost your job and so you have financial struggles at home and maybe One of you functions in indulgent flesh, that's the person who lost the job, and the other one is performance flesh, that's the spouse of the person who lost the job. So the guy who lost his job, he 
struggling, so he functions in the flesh and he decides to just drink a little bit more every night because he gets a little light buzz. That takes the pain, takes the edge off. Or maybe he goes shopping and he buys stuff, which doesn't help the financial situation at all. Or maybe he eats some comfort food. He just finds something to make him feel better because he feels so full of shame. Or the same time, the spouse who is functioning in her performance flesh says, you know what, I'd be making 10 calls a day. I'd be mailing out resumes. I'd have had 30 interviews by now. You know what, I just don't think you're committed enough. I don't think you want it enough. Why don't you get your act together? Which of course makes the other spouse feel more shame. And so in the flesh, he goes and drinks more and it spirals out of control. You see the mess that happens when we function in the flesh. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to take that list and I'm going to ask you to have a conversation with the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to reveal my flesh to me. Please note, this is very important. I want to remind you of the octagon. Stop trying to fix your spouse. Some of you are going through that list and I know what you are thinking. Woo, that, well, that's her. Wow, ooh, that's him. And, <laughs> right? It's not the, not the exercise. Here's the exercise. You're going to take that list. You're going to go away and pray. And you're going to say, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, reveal the filthy flesh in me. The repulsive flesh. Let me see it. I want to hate it. I want to nail it to the cross where it belongs. Do this in me. Then get together with your spouse and have a conversation. And here's how the conversation goes. Here's what the Holy Spirit revealed to me about my flesh. When Libby and I did this, I said, you know what? There's some uh, pleaser flesh and some passive flesh. And she said, yeah, yeah, I see that. Your spouse will be a wonderful confirmation of what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. <laughs> your, flouse, your spouse sees it. They know it. But how different is this? Here's what the Spirit has laid on my heart. Yeah, I think, I think you're tracking with him. Versus, hey, let me point out these flesh patterns I see in you. Now, get alone with the Lord first. Ask him to reveal your flesh pattern to you and then have a conversation with your spouse. It'll be remarkable the difference it can make. Last question, how do you get in the spirit? How do you get in the spirit? Look at verse 25. If or since we live by the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Paul reminds us here that our default setting as a believer is we are in the spirit. We're believers. We're in the spirit. The Holy Spirit is living in us. We are in him. We don't have to do anything to get in the spirit. You don't have to go through a ritual. You don't have to have a quiet time first thing in the morning to get in the spirit. You are in the spirit. You can choose to function in the flesh if you want. But what he's saying here is since we are in the spirit, just walk according to the spirit. Walk according to the spirit's promptings. What does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? It means to recognize your flesh patterns and crucify them. It means to surrender to your marriage to Christ and say, Jesus, whatever you want, do it. It means being willing to do what he tells you to do. So you're spending time in the Word, and as the Spirit uses the Word to lay something on your heart, you're willing to say yes, even if it's hard. Walking in the Spirit means coming clean and living honestly with one another. Shooting straight, 100%, nothing hidden. Walking in the Spirit means moment by moment choosing His way as He prompts us. Because the Christian life is lived moment by moment, isn't it? 
So just as we're closing, let me go over these three scenarios again. But instead of these couples functioning in the flesh, let's see what it looks like when they function in the spirit. So you're late to church. The person with religious flesh, maybe in the midst of it all says, oh yeah, I don't want to go there. So Lord Jesus, I know my flesh tendency would be to spiritualize this moment. There's nothing wrong with quoting scripture and praying. Please hear me, I'm not saying that. But the reason she was quoting scripture and praying was to avoid the pain of it. I don't want to over-spiritualize this to avoid the pain of it. Lord Jesus, um, I reject that as an option. I want to surrender to your spirit. Lead me, do whatever you need to do in me right now, and I will follow. The superior flesh spouse at the same time is saying, Jesus, I know my flesh tendency will be to stand here by the garage door and shake the keys and pompously lecture my poor little family. It's not helpful. I don't want to function that way. Lord Jesus, how do you want me to serve my family right now? Lord Jesus, by your spirit, guide me. And I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, no, Pete, tell us exactly what to do in that situation. No, I'm not going to tell you what to do in that situation. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to do in that situation. I am not your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your Holy Spirit. That's the Christian life is you responding to the Spirit, all right? So, parenting difficult teenagers, I know none of you can relate to this, but let's go there anyway. You're trying to stay on the same page as parents. So the person who might go towards their comfort flesh instead prays something like this, Jesus, I know my flesh tendency would be to avoid this conflict like the plague. But this conflict is inevitable if we're going to parent this child and launch her into the world. Please, Jesus, by your spirit, show me how to fully engage, even though this is going to be really hard. Parent this child through me. I am willing to go through the fire because I love this child enough to do so. The parent with the hostile flesh at the same time is praying, Jesus, I know my flesh tendency would be to lash out in anger right now. I reject that as an option. By your spirit, lovingly lead my daughter through me. Prompt me. Give me the ability to teach her in love. Holy Spirit, parent this child through me. And then as a couple, they get together and they pray. And they pray a similar prayer. Lord, we don't want to go in the flesh. We want to parent this child in the spirit. We don't even know what that looks like, but we are available. Prompt us. We will obey. Lead us. You think that little girl's going to get a different parenting experience? Flesh versus spirit? I guarantee she is. Job loss, financial struggles, someone with a tendency to go towards indulgent flesh would probably pray, Jesus, you know, my flesh tendency would be to run and grab a drink or to medicate in some other way this shame and sadness that I feel, but I'm not going to go there. I reject that as an option for me. Enable me by your spirit to be honest. Empower me to step out in faith. Give me courage by your spirit today to go out and find a job because I'm scared and I need you to do this through me. There is an honest prayer. The performance flesh spouse at the same time is praying, Jesus, I know my flesh tendency would be to perform and execute or demand that my husband do it. I'm going to choose instead of functioning that way, I'm going to choose to trust you, Holy Spirit. I entrust my husband to you, Holy Spirit. Encourage him today. Show me how I can love him. Show me how I can encourage him. Love him through me. And then as the Spirit prompts, you walk into it. This is called walking in the Spirit. 
And the best marriages in the world are made up of two people walking in the spirit, loving one another. Please stand with me. I want to pray for you as I dismiss you. I hope you caught your homework in the middle of my sermon there. Let me just reiterate it in case you missed it. You're going to go off. You're going to pray through. Say, Holy Spirit, reveal my flesh patterns to me. Then you're going to sit down and have a great conversation with your spouse. You're not going to be pointing the finger. You're not going to be condemning. You're going to be receiving and encouraging as you have an honest conversation about these things. And then you're going to encourage one another as you pray towards walking in the Spirit in these ways. Let me pray for you. Lord, um, thank you for my people. Thank you for the marriages represented in this room. Thank you for your love. Thank you that we really can experience life in the midst of suffering, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of going through hard things. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you promise to be everything we need. And because we have the Holy Spirit in us as believers, we have everything we need to walk in this Christian life as we surrender to you, as you do your work in us and through us. So I pray for miracles and marriages. I pray for the best conversations couples have ever had. I pray for aha moments. I pray from this day forward that people would recognize their flesh. They would crucify it. They'd walk in the spirit. They'd be available to you. And marriages would radically change. Please do this, Lord Jesus, I pray. And I pray it in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Did you enjoy that? I told my mom, I'm not glad you're in the hospital or laid up, but I mean, it was good timing to be able to watch this third video. So I know that it was a blessing. Marriage is two people walking in the spirit, loving one another. Two people walking in the spirit, loving one another. And um, I love the first thing he said in the very beginning, trust that God is at work in your spouse. Because so often we can look at things and think we have it figured out and we really don't know what is actually happening. And um, that, that is just the truth. Um, Romans 5.3, he brought it up in the beginning, is an awesome verse. Romans 5.3 says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And that is what we have when we're going through trials. We can have hope as we go through those trials. Um, ask God to reveal your flesh patterns. Do that this week as you're doing your quiet time. And you know what? Some of you don't have contact with your spouse where you can say to your spouse, hey, let's sit down and tell me what flesh patterns you see. But you know what? Pray and ask God for the opportunity to have that conversation with your spouse. Pray and ask God, does he want you to write a letter to your spouse and to say, hey, I, I've been praying about this, and lately I feel like these are some things that I see in myself, and I would love to just apologize for this, and I would love to ask you if you wanted to have a dialogue about this. And what would that open up? And you know what? You might get rejected and your spouse might say hurtful things to you, but you're going to trust that God is at work in your spouse. And so when that happens, or if that happens, you can just say, okay, God, I did what you said. So it doesn't matter what their reaction is. You're going to get to the point where the reactions and the things that are happening don't matter because that's 
a person in front of you. And this is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. And that's going to make it when you start having these things happen and trials happen, that they can kind of just flow off you easier because you know that that's not what what is really important and what's really happening. It's, it's just this. So that is awesome stuff. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to visit the website of Rejoice Marriage Ministries at www.rejoiceministries.org. Thanks for joining us today as we proclaim that God heals hurting marriages. Divorce strikes families around the world, often with little notice. You can help us minister to these families with your financial gift. Visit RejoiceMinistries.org and help us teach men and women what Jesus can do for their hurting family.